0: You're listening to Power Producers Shop Talk, where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace.
1: Well, it's like when we audit the mod with mod Advisor and are able to give them the action items that they're going to use to lower their total cost of risk.
0: Tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects.
1: It's going to be a great year in 2022 at Florida Risk Partners. Now that IPFS is in the game with their total pay strategy, we can write excess and surplus lines and completely remove The agency bill from our agency. People, if you're not using total pay by IPFS, you're definitely leaving money on the table.
0: And action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level.
1: Having partners like Mineral only bolsters the fact that your clients do not care about the insurance. It's all of the value that you're able to add. And with partners like Mineral who can help with both HR and environmental health and safety, we can't help but win.
0: This is Power Producers Shop Talk. Production, redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Power.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining, redefining the sales game, and no, Kyle doesn't look different. That's my good friend, Mr. Deeds. Mr. Ryan Deeds from Enable is back. I love talking to this guy because I leave every conversation smarter than when I started. And I'm really looking forward to this. And Ryan and I actually just were catching up on a Zoom a couple of days ago, and we were talking, and as is typically the case, all kinds of wild stuff's getting thrown around and ideas and everything. And I told him, I said, you know, I really would like for you to come back on the podcast to talk about data and what Enable specifically is doing to, quite frankly, enable agencies to make themselves better. And you know I wanted to do something different. I I told Ryan I said I really think for people to understand kind of what it is that you do but also to hear how it would integrate with agencies why don't we just jump on a podcast and you do your normal discovery that you would do with any agency out there. And I'll answer the questions honestly, whether anybody's going to be surprised by some of the answers or not, I can about guarantee you that. But I just wanted to go through the process because I think that everybody will understand more. And guess what? If you're a little bit on the fence as to whether or not this is something that you should look at or have entertained in the past, I have a feeling it'll clear up some confusion and make you comfortable to reach out to Ryan and see how he and the team at Enable can help you. So, what's up, man? You wanna give everybody kind of like the quick overview of who you are, what Able Enable is, even though you've been multi time guest on the podcast? Do that and let's roll, man. It's your show Fire today. Mother.
2: I appreciate it, man. Yeah, so I'm Ryan Deeds. I've been in the game forever. You know, uh, d- worked inside insurance agencies for about 15, 20 years doing data and data extraction. Got invited to come to this insure tech startup about a year and a half ago. I never had that on my resume. So I was like, you know, all this insurance tech stuff happened around us. I'd love to go do that. They were dealing with... You know the, the fundamental question of data and how do we get value out of data for insurance agencies, and how do we help that journey? Um, and that's something I've done my whole career. So I was like, yes, that, that resonates with me. You know, Dave. I mean, my, my long term, I'll be back in an agency down the stretch, right? That's where my heart is. I, that's I, I love insurance agencies. I don't, which is weird because as a twenty year old, I never thought in a million years that I would love insurance agencies. But that's kind of where because I grew up in them and I, I, my career was based in them and the people, the people in independence are just the best. They're just great people, great families. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm blessed now to be on the other side of it. And, you know, I think from, for me, my favorite part of this job. And, and so now I'm in sales. The first year I did product, help them develop what we were doing, how we were doing it and all that stuff. And then after that first year, Kabir, uh, our, our leader was like, Hey man, it, it let's, Let's have you move over to sales. You can talk to agencies and skills was like sales was freaking me out, man. From the very beginning, I told Kabir, oh, I'm not doing sales, dude. I I'll never be good at sales. It's not my thing. But what I found was I, it doesn't, it's not sales. It's talking to agencies, figuring out where they are in their journey figuring out if they are a fit for us, if we can help them. And the goal of every meeting that I have is to help them learn something regardless of if it's, if enables a fit or not, but help them kind of self-identify certain areas that they can maybe improve on or are doing awesome at that they don't see. You know, most insurance agencies maybe talk to five, 10 insurance agencies a year, maybe a few more. I talk to 50 in a month sometimes, you know, and these are deep dives. And so, I thought it'd be fun, yeah, to go through that process. You know, I obviously know some about your organization, but I don't know ton. And, and I, I thought if we went through this process, it would kind of open folks' eyes to how we're doing it at Enable, what we're bringing out there. Um, and then we can obviously talk about how that product can t- can solve some of the problems that we out, If we out any, maybe you're perfect. Maybe you've got no
1: issues. Yeah, no, I, I have plenty of issues, man. We just don't always air them out on the podcast. So this is going to be a, new, a unique opportunity <laughs> no for everybody worries. to hear all in all in one place, you know. But um, you are a hundred percent right. I, I think that you know we can talk about sales tips and tricks and how to open and how to close and everything else. But I think that we don't do enough talking about what our primary role is as producers, sales people, insurance agents, whatever we're going to call ourselves. Our primary job's education, man. We are educators, period. We have to be because the product that we sell, and you can relate to this, you know, because A, you've been in the insurance industry, but also from the technology side, what we sell is a complex product. And with the marketplace changing every single day, we have to know this stuff ourselves just to be on top of what's going on why aren't we taking advantage of that by demonstrating what we know through education i think where a lot of people have problems in our industry uh, and this is 100% based off of what i've you know seen and heard from agents over the years is they don't know when to stop right they overeducate so you know that's why i say that the absolute best producers in our game are the perfect blend. I call them hybrids. They're the perfect blend between sales talent and technical knowledge because the sales talent allows them to know when it's time to stop talking. The people who are highly educated that are extremely technical and don't know when to stop talking at the point of sale, and I'm not saying this is a slam, but those people are better – better designed to be underwriters. They've got the technical knowledge, but they're never going to hit where they need to hit in production because they still sold a deal 10 minutes ago, but they're still expounding on various endorsements and all of the different claim scenarios and everything else. Obviously love underwriters to death. We need them, but the skill set and the personality, I won't even say personality because I've got some really crazy underwriters, but The skill set of an underwriter is different than the skill set of a producer. And underwriters, if you take offense to that, I want you to stop right now, take a deep breath and think about how many crappy submissions you've had from a producer and tell me that an underwriter would have turned that into you, right? (laughs) Case closed. Different skill set. That being said, the best producers are best educators, and I suspect you see that as you're out on your sales. Journey as well,
2: and it's you know it's been interesting because I, I I grew up around producers. I mean, that's how I feel. Right, I started in the agency at twenty four and watched great producers, bad producers, uh, make, you know, and, and young producers turn to old producers. I mean, really, really exciting stuff that I never really thought I'd be able to put into practice because I was an IT guy, right? I mean, I'm a tech, I'm a nerd. That's what I did. And so now to come on this side, some of the lessons that I've heard like 15 years ago just resonate in my head, man. And so, but um, yeah, so let's just kick it off, bro, and, and help me understand a little bit about Florida Risk. So I think first off, how many employees do you guys
1: have? Does well, eleven now. Okay. We So and I, say, I say a dozen. So here's the thing, though. This is important because it's going to be germane okay. to your discussion. I shouldn't give you this softball, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna share it with you because you may not you may not ask me going down the road. So not every one of those people is a W two employee. I do use virtual assistants for a certain portion of what we do, and I have a couple of contractors. Like I've got I've got a CFO, but she's not an employee of the organization. She's outsourced and she she has a bookkeeping company, um, but also okay. is the CFO of Florida Risk. I'm one of two clients. My other company is her other client. So um, she sits down in South Florida. So, as far as how many people are actually in, around, have their fingers in stuff at any given time, really like eight or nine people are, are actively engaged in you know, those, you know, quite a few were still remote from covid. We just decided we liked it better with letting our people work remote. Specifically my account managers, man, because, you know, I don't want this to sound wrong, but I get a lot more done when they're not here. You know, a lot of the times when people are in the office working, even if you use like Slack or, you know, Facebook Messenger, is what we use a lot of the time, but if you, or Teams or any of those things, they don't use them because they can walk 10 steps, be at your office right. door and like that is one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is sitting and seeing somebody out of the corner of my eye in my office door and they're like breathing it <laughs> i'm in the middle of something like i it's well documented i've got bad adhd man if you pull me away from it it's a good chance it ain't getting done today at this point so you know we've left some people remote. So that's kind of our mix we're not traditional in terms of we're not a main street agency even though we're in like kind of two smaller areas you know the geography we're in Balrico and Lutz aren't huge towns. It's not like I'm in downtown Tampa. So, you know, each of our offices has, you know, three or four offices, a conference room and a media center where we have color printers and (laughs) copiers and all of that stuff. But I prefer my office is to stay empty for all practical purposes. They, they provide a uh, location on Google for the map pack. But if you're in the office, you ain't earning. And my, with the account managers being remote, you know, I should never see producers there. So it's funny because my landlord's like, nobody's ever at your office. Are you sure you even need it? Well, yeah, I need it because they're in and out. My office should operate like a landing strip period.
2: Right. Right. No, I hundred percent, man. And I mean, I think You know, I have so much to think about the remote stuff. You know, I hear this and it drives me crazy because so often what I'm hearing is, we can't control culture or collaboration remotely. And I'm always like, well, we've been doing remote for about four years and we've been doing in office for about 200. So, you know, how do we know what we can and can't do remotely? Isn't that kind of like saying, Hey, you know what? That, that, that horse, that car thing's never going to do anything. I'm sticking with these horses. You know, it's those agencies and those companies that really move forward and figure out how to, collaborate effectively how to build innovation remotely that drives that forward. So I love that. How much premium uh, premium are you guys doing in a year?
1: Couldn't tell you. I only focus on. Couldn't tell me. I don't know. Okay.
2: How much revenue are you doing in a year?
1: We will end this year a little bit North of 4 million. If we are able to keep the pace that we're doing when you, and listen, when you look at that revenue exactly, per employee, I've got I've got a lot of people. Yeah, and so let me pre-qualify that. You guys have to remember a couple of things about my agency. My agency still, from a technology standpoint, and the ability to handle service work for customers, very much resembles the agency that I started in the dining room of my home. The only way I was able to go out and write middle market accounts was number one, I had to know who my ideal prospect was and not deviate from that, right? So a lot of times on the podcast, people will hear me talk about, I like residential service contractors. Why do I like them? That sounds like it's a lot of certificate work. It's not. They're business to consumer. They're doing work for homeowners. So we don't have a lot of homeowners that are requesting certificates of insurance on what amount to be my biggest accounts. They just don't ask for it. The other thing is, Based on how we write those policies, we can write them on a composite rate on the auto, and we don't have the changes in and out over the course of the year. It's a beginning and an ending count for the fleet. That's how it's rated. They audit auto just like the GL and the workers' comp. So I don't have to deal with a bunch of vehicle changes. We have our driver selection criteria pre-approved. We've talked about this on another podcast so that we're not doing changes every single time somebody needs to have a driver. We send the driver selection criteria to underwriting, they approve it. And once a month per account, we will sit down and we will make whatever additions or deletions we needed to make based off of that. I could probably move that to being every single time it happens, but why? It works for us and we're able to operate more efficiently by not doing that. For the people who do have certificates, we have e-certs online in the agency. It's not tied to my management system. It's a standalone product that we've bought, but it allows people to actually have the certificate in their end user's hand faster than we could get it to them if they email it to us. People can have the certificate issued and in their person's hand before they can get done typing the email. They just log in and do that. If it needs special language or whatever, then obviously we have to get involved. But Ryan, you know this because we talked earlier this week. I've got three people out this week on vacation. Three people. I'm covering those desks myself, which is uncommon, but I'm doing it. And guess what? I got time to sit here and record a podcast for an hour with you. Why? Because I just don't have the type of requests that a normal agency would have coming in. And we know when we wrote the wrong business, when that kind of stuff starts coming You know, the contractor that's having to qualify for commercial or industrial work, and now they have to get the mod worksheet. And if it's above one, and we haven't had long enough to bring it down. Now I've got to step back and write a letter like explaining why the mods where it is and what the dart rate is and all of this stuff. So, you know, all that to say. Yes, we have an abnormally high average revenue per employee. I'm I'm very anxiously looking forward to getting that number down. Like we're actively looking for two or three people right now. So if you're listening to this and you want to hang, I don't care about remote. I don't care about you being in Tampa. Reach out to me and I'm happy to talk to you. We operate on Hawksoft as our agency management system. If you know that, that's a bonus.
2: Yeah, so I mean, and that's one of the first things that I like to understand, you know, and and it's funny because a lot of agencies obviously are well versed in revenue per employee, and and a lot of agencies are not. And so, um, you know, when you look at that four million, can you f- split that between commercial, personal benefits for me on a percentage
1: basis? We're like ninety eight percent commercial lines, so I don't even count any benefits revenue in that because we have a. Venture for that—that's kind of separate, um, and, and it flows through a different entity. So, as far as Florida Risk Partners goes, we're literally only about two percent personal lines because right. we've been building it over the course of the last year, a year and a half, and as quick as we could build, they're yanking markets out from under our feet here in Florida. So, I'm at a point right now where honestly, any inbound leads that are coming in for personal. I'm just pushing out to any, to my friends who have agencies that are in those towns. I'm geared for that. And
2: so when you look at your commercial book, I mean, do you segment that out by kind of small commercial, midsize commercial, or were most of your thing are, are most of your accounts in a specific size band? I mean, and, and then how many accounts do you have for that 4 million in revenue? Just uh, rough figures.
1: Yeah, so when you look at the um, how we banded, it, it's kind of the sweet spot for us is the middle market stuff, and I define that as our absolute like if we were at a target and we were going to hit the bullseye, two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand in premium, twenty five to fifty grand in revenue, not- it would be that's like that's what we're actively going after prospecting, but we'll write below that. Covid taught us that we could write below that, right? I don't want my producers going out and spending their time trying to write the smaller business. So anything it used to be anything under five grand in revenue. I've sorta let that go down to about between one and two thousand. There's not really a rule anymore when COVID hit because we weren't able to go out on knock on doors. So we had to bring revenue in and continue to have it flow. And truthfully, as you're doing the math in your head, my average revenue per account is too high. So let just take revenue per employee and table that for a second, because I know the number on that it should be three hundred to three hundred twenty five is what a good commercial agency should have.
2: Well, I, average is about one hundred ninety to two hundred twenty thousand is what we oh, see. Oh geez, yeah, at, no, am the way average, out, bro. I'm, like if you, I'm look way at, out of whack.
1: Yeah, so. I, I think that I think that where I came up with that number is I went through CIC's Agency Management Institute, and that may have. In what a good account manager could handle in revenue per account manager, but it yeah. wasn't divided across all those employees. So thank you, Ryan. I am even worse. Uh, well, it's not um, mean worse <laughs> set up than what I thought I- it <laughs> was, but I mean we're able yeah. to make it work. But it, they're, they're stressed. They're stressed and strained at this point. Okay, which is why I say I'm a couple people down. But a bigger concern, equal concern. I shouldn't say bigger because I we want the right culture. We don't want people stressed, but. Revenue per account's too high, man. When you're focusing on twenty-five to fifty grand, and that's all you've ever written, which is kind of where we we got pigeonholed, you lose that stuff. It hurts a lot. And I don't have that main street personal lines base, and I don't have that small commercial base. So literally, the last year and a half, almost two years, like almost as soon as COVID hit, I'm like, boom, we gotta like right now, we we got to fix this number bring yeah. revenue per account down i had several accounts that were bought by venture capital and i don't have any way to to combat that right so i lost a quarter million in revenue in 2021 just through exactly what the insurance agent uh, industry is going through consolidation in service contractors so we're actively focusing on that of the accounts that we have that are in that um you know that that middle market range of anywhere between Ten thousand in, I'd say twenty five thousand in premium to five hundred thousand in revenue. We're looking at roughly between five and six hundred total accounts there, and then above that, we're you know below that, you know, I have no idea what the number yeah, is. Just it. scats of it. them. Yeah, I mean we're constantly writing that every day.
2: Yeah, but that's I mean okay, you know, inversely, if you were a four million dollar PL shop, you'd have uh, twenty two thousand. 000- Yo, oh you, you, yeah, I, you I mean, I, I always remember at Craigton, yeah. man, you know, we had 4,000 clients and 25% of every one of our clients was in PL, but it represented less than 5% of our revenue. I just will always stick with me, you know, 25% of the clients, 5% of the revenue. So I think that as you guys have done that, it's been very purposeful. That's how you're able to run that book with the staff that you have. I, obviously, there is going to be some stress there with running lean as that. But at the same point, you're able you know to what, handle it. You the other
1: thing, be- though, though, Ryan? Yeah, the other thing, too, that's important for everybody to hear is the mix, okay? Almost all of that business is with appointed carriers. We do not write a huge amount of excess and surplus lines. We have started writing more because we brought IPFS into the mix, and they basically have taken agency bill completely out for us. So now... And again, that was an intentional thing. I got burnt really early with the $25,000 chargeback I had to pay out of my pocket. 100% my fault. I don't blame anybody else. I take ownership for it. But I also have control of the agency and said, we're not writing any more ENS until I figure out how to make this work. I am not an accountant, right? I don't want to have to deal with trust accounting. I don't want to have to deal with carrier invoices and everything else. And when we brought them in, now they invoice the person. They make the down payment directly to IPFS. IPFS supplements that with the financing. They pay the wholesaler on our behalf. Four days later, we get our commission into our account. So from an accounting perspective, I don't have any of the trust stuff anymore, and we're only bringing revenue in. So I'm actually really, really excited about that, which is one reason why I talk about them a lot is because they've changed how much how I'm able to write business in my agency and it's going to mean a lot of money for us. It will require more manpower though and woman power. I know that. So again, that's why I say we're actively looking to people cuz you still got to go in and do the process, the finance agreements and the initial billing and everything. But man, is it's nowhere near what it's like when you're having all those ins and outs in your general ledger and everything. It's just nuts. Well,
2: and I think like you, one of the main things you said was the trust ratio, because the trust ratio was such a big deal in 06, 07, 08, right? I mean, that was like a huge freaking problem for Florida agents, especially as we were going through that construction-like massacre that happened. And that was a big deal for us at Linear Upshaw when I was there, is making sure that we stayed on the right side of that trust ratio. And so, you know, obviously, we're using somebody like IPFS, a group like that, that will help off, you know, Keep your hands out of that money that is supposed to be paying the carriers. <laughs> That's a great thing, I think. I mean, it's, it's it's a very strategic thing, but it that keeps you out of jail. That keeps you out of some real, real hot waters. So I love that. No,
1: let's call it what it is, man. If you're an if you're an agent that is newer and you've got a couple of employees and revenue hasn't flowed like it needs to and you're a little thin, but you got a hundred thousand sitting in the trust account over here. I think a lot of people are going to make a decision they probably shouldn't make. Their heart's in the right place if they're going to make take money from there to make payroll, right? But that's not right. what they are supposed to do, no, and you can get no, in a world of hurt, you know. Yeah, yeah, and,
2: and I've seen it happen. And so, with, with those 600 accounts, I mean, are those relatively? You you talk about the 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 contractor vertical that you have. Are there other verticals in your organization that you guys go after and are producers specifically? um, driven to verticals. I, can you walk me through your yep. strategy on, on kind of how you, cause you're not writing everything that's out there. You're kind no, of saying, no, no, no. I'm coming after these. What does that look like for you guys?
1: Yeah. It's, so it's, it's interesting because we have stuff that we have defined and then we have stuff that we sort of run into along the way. And we write like five or six of them. And you know, I'm not, I'm not completely dumb. You know, if I write, if we write five or six of a class of business, there's a reason why. And I'm the guy, it's going to like look, dig into that and figure out why we're writing it, where the leads are coming from, and all that, which is why HubSpot is so important for us because it makes it a whole lot easier for me just to look at that dashboard and get a lot of information from there. But most of what we write is service contractors, technology companies, life sciences companies, light manufacturing, and then Department of Defense contractors. The one catch all that we have is anybody whose mod is over one for Workers' Comp we will literally go in and work with any company if your mod is one or higher because we know we can drive change there. One of the transitions that I made, and I'm sharing this with the listeners. If you haven't ever looked at my series that I did, it's public facing, but it it talks about how to build passive revenue streams in your agency. If you go to killingcommercial.com forward slash QBI for quote, bind issue, killingcommercial.com, com qbi i I lay out the strategy for what we're going to do to push the agency into the next you know decade or whatever and what we're doing there is and it's funny because this is all great timing Ryan. i I mean we completely scheduled this by accident but there's so many cool things going on my interns last day was yesterday so abby o'brien who had been here interning all summer long like i her because she used to sit. We don't have enough space in the office for her to have a desk. So she used to sit in the conference room, which is right across the hall from me. And we would just talk all day back and forth. And now she's on her way down to the Caribbean and Grace is editing video with headphones in the back. So I don't have anybody to talk to. So anyhow, um, all she did was work on those affinity brands in vertical markets uh, that we're building out for the future. So a lot of things like veterinary insurance, childcare insurance, I own the brands, the logos, the trademarks, all of that stuff, because I identified places where we could drive passive revenue to the agency, but also populate our CRM. Now, Childcare is not a good one to talk about. Veterinary is not because those actually require us to do some work, but it's good inbound lead strategy. But things like wedding insurance, salons and stylists, barbers and barbershops, um, karate studios, all of those things. I own Florida barber insurance, Florida salon insurance, Florida style insurance, Florida esthetician insurance, all of that. So... This is going back a long way because that's why my logo is designed the way it is. We simply take the three buildings off the top that you see right there, and we replace it with something industry specific. So the veterinarians have the cross going up with the two serpents. The child care has the bus instead of the three buildings. You know, all of these things have their own branding. But my thought process behind it, Ryan, was. If we can drive passive revenue because every – I don't know if people realize this or not, but if you're in a barber shop, – let's just use this one as an example. If you're in a barber shop as a barber, you're renting that chair. You're probably not the guy or the lady who owns the shop. Every single chair is typically rented, and a percentage of whatever they do for haircuts that day is then paid to the house for giving you that space, right? So my thought process was, these guys, have it's cheap insurance. None of the people that I run with are going to want to go after this. It's like 150 bucks a year for them to get their GLPL and, and, and all of that. So if we put a landing page around that, let's just put a landing page around it and throw some Google Ads money to it and drive traffic and let these guys go through and have a very streamlined experience of buying their GL that they need to be in compliance with the shop owner because they're required to have it every single year. Well, that's great. We have set up, I get a program administration fee of like somewhere between 30 and 50 bucks. I honestly don't even remember at this point. But um somewhere in there, so every time we sell one of these, we we get that program administration fee and guess what happens? It dumps into HubSpot. Now we have the ability to market to them for personal lines. We have the ability to take some of the automation and push it out to um the, the shop owner. Something's going on with my computer. Anyhow, it's exciting for us here. Because between now and the end of the year at Florida Risk, we're launching 12 affinity brands that we're all going to be pumping business in, and now I can go out and I can recruit producers to participate in that, or I can just leave it, quote, bind issue and never turn the remarketing on and just have it be passive revenue. I don't have to grow the actual manual labor portion all at one time.
2: Perfect. So, okay. On so, as you're you've got your vertical strategy kind of knocked out. Now it sounds like you're doing. I've got niche these kind of instant pop up verticals that we have, and then we have more strategic verticals that we go after maybe larger accounts that we're investing more uh, into to go to go out. Is that correct? I mean, are you going to put together like.
1: Yeah, it is. So my thought process is with those smaller verticals, I can take now And my, my goal. And I told Abby this before she left, I said, just pick which two you want to work in when you come back, because you're not going to go work anywhere else when you graduate. I hope you know that like and she even told me yesterday, she's, she's like, listen, man, don't play head games with me. I know how you operate. And you're going to have me talked into something I'm like, no, my ultimate goal is for you just to be happy. But seriously, when you come back to work, I want you to pick whatever it is you want to go into, and then you can build that. With the thought process being, you got to walk before you run, man. That's a great way for a producer to become an expert in an industry without having to write the big boys. And then let's just say that she gets into childcare. There's plenty of childcare facilities out there that have 8, 10 locations that are middle market accounts. Don't go after those yet become a master of your craft. Now you have a book of business and the credibility behind you that you're going to dominate when you do get into the larger accounts in the middle market. So that's the overall thought process.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love it. Love it. All right. So as you look at the the strategic... The large buckets. Cause I'm betting that if you were to split revenue, like eighty percent of your revenue is probably in one or two verticals and then the rest is gonna spread out. Is that true? Yeah, I would or tell you
1: that-, that our overwhelming the majority of what we do is in residential service contractors and light manufacturing. And that light manufacturing can get broken down into like cabinetry places and yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in there. But again, think about it, Ryan, from a service perspective you're a manufacturer. You probably don't have a fleet of vehicles. If you do, it's not very much, and you're certainly not changing them in and out. Same with drivers. And unless you're like supplying to a Home Depot or a Walmart or someplace like that, there's no certificates. We issue an SBA loan uh, certificate every year to prove coverage for the SBA, but that's really about it. So again, from a servicing perspective, my time is spent at the actual client. It's not spent doing insurance stuff. It's Understanding risk management, walking the floor, doing those kinds of things, which I can do that once a quarter, depending, or sometimes it's once a month or every other month, whatever it is, it's way more than they've ever seen anybody in the past.
2: well, sure, I mean the other thing great about verticals is you know if you get an account manager that's been in that space for three or four years, they start to you know a client calls in or a prospect is talking. you know the problems before the client does in a lot of cases. And you can really help edge I mean, there's so much benefit to that expertise from a scalability, from an efficiency standpoint. Even if they're super service intensive, once you are in that space, dedicated space for a while, you'll learn how to make those inefficiencies a little bit better, right? Let's talk carrier strategy a little bit. Yep. So we've got your verticals. We kind of know where you are on a revenue side. We know some of the, the challenges that you're facing Operationally, mainly that staffing. You know, hey, how do I get good more good people in the door? You know, we wanna we wanna do that. We we need help there. How are you managing the carriers? How many carriers do you have and how many of those do you consider core partnerships?
1: I have hold on, I'll tell you exactly how many I have directly. I can count the plaques on my wall right here.
2: <laughs> oh, really?
1: I mean truthfully, you know, ten to twelve, you know, in of That's those
2: carriers you have?
1: Yeah, and of well, so hold on. Direct carriers, 10 to 12, like four or five of those are monoline workers comp. Those are our core. Everything that's not core, I have a relationship with Iroquois and as, a, okay. as an aggregator. So there are, and, and I've talked pretty openly about this on the podcast, but there are companies like Liberty Mutual, Hartford, and some others that we could place some business with, but not enough to make. I'm not, I don't need somebody barking at me for production. Okay. Right. It doesn't I know, make
2: sense that volume agreement of some form with them when you're gonna need the flexibility to feed five or six. So Iroquois gets that kind of stuff. They go through, help place wherever you're yeah. not beholden to some kind of weird agreement to say, Hey, you're gonna have this much new business because now no, it's you like twenty five thousand really
1: dollars in premium. That's what they want. Right. You know, Hartford wants twenty five grand in premium every year. That's not an right. issue, right? And so it's not and, and the nice part is those are still sub codes for us. So, even though we're not a direct appointee, our name is still on the policy when it's issued. We still have the ability to quote in the systems just like we would, but for the lion's share of what we do, you know auto owners buy and beyond a shadow of a doubt is number one for us. We're gonna go there first for our service contractors and everything if it fits behind them you know, we're gonna go to Chubb. Chubb is my other one that's a horse for me, which if you hear what I said that I write, Department of Defense contractors, light manufacturing, That I mean, that's right in Chubb's wheelhouse, technology, life right. sciences, and all of that. And so to me, it's kind of like, I've got those couple and everybody else in, in my yeah. mind.
2: And that's how it should be. I mean, unfortunately, I think you know it's it's rare that I see a four or five million dollar shop with as few carriers you have. That I love it because that means there's been a lot of strategy there. Um, You know, generally you're seeing you know a ten million dollar shop will have 140 carriers, no problem. Yeah, no way. You know, now I think the other part of it. I think
1: part of that too, Ryan, is remember commercial. So you start getting into middle market. I mean, uh, personal lines and benefits the, you know, the, in life and all that. The carrier list expands.
2: Well, even on the commercial side, bro. Like at Crichton, realize- we had fourteen million in revenue. We had three hundred carriers. It just and I mean, I- it doesn't happen. It's I didn't even realize it,
1: there were that many carriers out there, honestly.
2: Oh, dude, it's the biggest – And, look and at here's, here's the
1: other thing too, man. The, the other thing to keep in mind for everybody else that's out there listening to this, thinking, oh, my God, he's only got that many carriers. Yeah, you're forgetting something. I'm in Florida. We don't just hand out carrier appointments like Shriners throwing candy in a Christmas parade, okay? Well, there's nothing it's wrong really, with really, yeah, It's really, really tough to, to get them, and so when you do – you want to make sure you're giving them what they expect of you. Auto owners came in, you know. It, it took me a long, it took me a couple years of to, of just banging on them to get this appointment, and we finally got it. We hit our three year commitment in in six months, right? So, I, when we bring somebody in. It's because we're going to do critical mass, and if I bring somebody in, there's a high likelihood I'm cutting off whoever's at the bottom, and we're just going to do a book roll into the new carrier. I don't. I learned a lot, man. I was part of, you know, we've talked about this. I was at BKS, which is, you know, part of BRP when we opened. I was like the one of the first people there, right? I mean, there were literally nobody in the office. There were like five or six of us most days. And I watched how they opened up that agency, and this is a guy who, and his team who had had run a very, very successful shop prior and sold it. So it was great tuition for me to watch what they did. There were things they did that I didn't understand, but I understood everything that they did do. And guess what? They've been wildly successful since then. I went to the next agency that I was partners at. I employed some of that, but I got over overruled on some other things, and it's nowhere near what BKS is, right? So i have the I have the um, fortunate opportunity that I saw two different places that started scratch agencies from two completely different directions before I opened floor to risk. And I did what I do with everything else, man. I begged borrow and stole the things that, <laughs> that other people did that worked. And then I added a sprinkled in a little bit of my own stuff into it. So <clears throat> when you say it was intentional, it was because I, I just have some really wild philosophies on things. I feel like that you should not have more than like two or three wholesalers in your operation. Right, a
2: hundred percent. Yeah, why and why? why,
1: wouldn't you and, and, and and why? Because they all have the same contracts for the most part. Right. It's a hundred percent a relationship. Trina yeah. Swartz at RT Specialty has been the my wholesaler of choice. Since way way back when she was at Burns and Wilcox, I didn't do business with Burns and Wilcox. I didn't do business with all risks and I don't do business with RT specialty. I do business with Trina Schwartz who wrote the very first insurance policy that I ever wrote, which I referenced (laughs) in the video yesterday. She's been (laughs) with me for almost 20 years. I'm not going to leave her. If Trina has a bad day and doesn't deliver, I know it's not normal. I have, I give her grace and we go in the mood, but guess what? She doesn't do that. And so I know where my bread's but buttered. You
2: place too. When you have a bad per- day, <laughs> hundred percent,
1: right. trust me, man, I'm a nightmare for these people to work with. I know that, <laughs> you know, it, it, cause I go a million miles an hour. And I think everybody should know what I know in my head when in reality, I did a, crappy job of relaying the information or something, just trying to get the, get everything placed. But I say that because I think agencies don't do a good job, right? They don't do a good job of managing their carrier relationships to make sure, number one, that they're the right carriers. Number two, that they're providing those carriers with the right business in the right classes at the right profit levels. And, and they're doing that year in and year out to maximize their own contingency uh, benefits, right? That's, right? That's why I want to aggregate everything with the carriers who have the best opportunity for me to succeed financially with them and give them exactly what they want.
2: But but it's a byproduct of the decisions that you've made, right? It's the yep. byproduct of the fact that you're going after specific classes of business. It's a byproduct of the way that you structured this uh, from an intentional standpoint. It's a byproduct from the education that you got from those other agencies when you came to this one to say, I'm going to take the things that I've seen that have worked and I'm not going to do the things that I have I'm obviously going to fail some, but I'm going to learn from that. And I mean, those are, you know, it's, it's not because you don't want to have more carriers and don't, it's because you don't need more carriers with the business that you have today and the way that you've lined that up. So 100%. those are two very different situations, which I totally dig. All right, so... I I, I pretty much kind of understand where you're coming from. The, the, The last thing I really need to understand is the systems that you use today. You use Hawksoft as your AMS. Your CRM is HubSpot. Yep. And are those two linked, connected, everything works? They are not. They're not. And so, okay. So right now, producer enters into Hawksoft. You're looking, I mean, enters into uh, HubSpot. You look at that. At some point, that becomes a a true client. It then goes into Hawksoft. At that point, service takes it over after the sale, all that. Or, I mean, can you walk me through that process just a little bit?
1: And it's different. And I think everybody on here is going to be like, wait a minute. What are you talking about, man? How do you do it that way? The biggest gripe every agent has is double entry right they don't want and and I've just never really viewed that as a problem I understand that there are probably some things that we could pick up in efficiency if the AMS and the CRM talk to each other but I've already told you my revenue per employee man I don't know how much What's more the efficiency there is. 600
2: clients is that why that doesn't matter to you, yeah. if, you if you were 60 if 6,000 clients that problem would well, matter to you a lot more again well, a byproduct it, of the choices that you've made you know? it, yeah
1: the other thing has to do with our sales process right so you know, we we talk about it on the podcast, but I, I also go speak in public, and people still don't really understand how we operate relative to what a normal agency does. We don't do any insurance work until we're hired, so we're going to go in and we'll do a baseline risk assessment. You know, we'll we'll contract out with my good friends at Yellowbird, Michael Zal, to go out and, and do the the risk assessment for us. Um, And we're going to present that. We're going to present what our solutions are, how we can put a learning management system in place, all of the technology that we have in the agency. And that person is then going to make a decision to hire us to work with them. A lot of times that's six months or more before renewal, to be honest with you. So there is no insurance work and we're figuring out ways to recover money through botched audits or an aggravated equity uh, filings on the experience mod or whatever else. And then we split found money with our clients 50, 50. So we can fund our operations before we place an insurance product, or we'll go to the client and say, look, here's how much it's going to cost for you to to fix this stuff on an annualized basis, I need to go ahead and start billing you my service fee right now and when the insurance renewal comes, we'll place that for you net of commission so that I can earn, but your commission your premiums will be reduced by the amount of commissions and I'm just getting my compensation from you instead of the insurance company. So it's easy for us to not have a ton of double entry because the producers are living in HubSpot. The only thing my producers do in Hawksoft is create the shell for the policy. That's it. They create okay. the shell for it so that when the download hits, everything populates or should populate, and then service goes back and cleans it up and manages it from there. So if we do have to issue a certificate outside of our Ecerts Online portal, we do that from Hawksoft. It ha- it captures it. The other thing that we do, um, you know, and this is. Maybe a little bit cumbersome, but I pay a charge per certificate on eCERTs online, whether it be fax, email, or regular mail. So when renewal comes, I don't want to roll the renewal certificates and eCERTs if I'm paying per certificate. So at the end of the year, it's really kind of nice to be honest with you. The client's doing the service work for us to a certain degree in that the certificate holder list right. is always up to date because they've been requesting the certificates all year. And all we have to do is export that in out of inserts online and imported into Hawksoft and then we roll the renewal certificates from Hawksoft so I don't I can email them and not have to pay the per charge yes. per certificate charge. So it's it's really not a ton of double entry, but we you know we all have three screens. We have um, Hawksoft, HubSpot and then I have a large. Everybody's got a large vertical monitor that we can see an entire page of a policy on that monitor, which is awesome when you're doing policy review. But we keep every, we keep all of that stuff open, and very rarely do we keep email open because we get email in HubSpot. So we can operate. So we we do use service ticketing inside of HubSpot. So my service people will get a notification that a ticket's been assigned to them. They can pull it up on one monitor. It tells them what they need to do. They can go into uh, they have hawk soft open on the other one and so again it's not a lot of policies and there's not a lot of there's not just not a lot of daily service work so that has not been a source of pain for us if i grow this thing to not if when i grow this to a 20 25 million dollar agency that's going to be a problem for us because i am going to have to have benefits i am going to have to have life i am going to have to have retirement planning and all of that stuff just like we did when i started out back in the days we were baldwin insurance group But I'm not there yet. I still need to be the master of the craft that we're doing right now before I worry about expanding. And then that presents its own set of challenges because I'm not going to build that stuff from scratch. I'm just going to go out and buy agencies and integrate them into our stuff.
2: And what is the growth vision for you guys? I mean, if you look at the next three years, you're sitting at the end of 2025, 2026. Where are you guys from a revenue perspective?
1: I think... I think that we are probably going to slow down pretty dramatically. Um, And the reason why is that we need to add people. And I can't continue the new business engine that we've had without me being able to do that. We all know what the labor pool looks like and so that's where we get into the use of virtual assistants and all of that we actually kind of slowed that slowed down some in 2021 and and we did a really good job of documenting processes and things like that but we're nowhere near where we need to be in order to have like five or six or seven vas right i i've got enough process documented that we can use three but i just don't have everything and again you keep saying strategy. You know that was a strategic decision. Let me make sure everybody's one hundred percent clear on this. This is not strategy. This is a absence of fear from making a bad decision because what I've done's made a ton of bad decisions along the way, and I know when to cut bait and fix it and how to fix it. So I don't want people thinking I'm some brainiac that was smart enough that had all of this laid out on a whiteboard like a you know, beautiful mind and it just well, working you're, perfectly. You're
2: old too. You're old, right? I'm old. Yeah. We, with age comes a lot of failure and a lot of yep. stuff that we've learned. And so people can look at us at 48, 50 years old and say, "Wow, they've they've done all and it's like, "No, bro. <laughs> we failed for 20 years and we, and we don't talk about
1: you. it." Yeah, we we, exactly, we just, you yeah. don't ever hear us talk about all the stupid yeah. stuff we've done, right? I've done a lot of it. I told you I had a $25,000 chargeback on ENS. That's a big mistake, right?
2: Well, I think for me, man, I mean, that that's kind of the first part of of the discovery, you know, and that's that's generally what I what I need to have the next conversation, which, you know, we can we can roll into we can do another episode, we can do whatever, however you want to do that, because now it's really talking about how do we help facilitate and solve some of those challenges you know that my takeaways were i really care about average account size how do i help increase that i pretty much have my carrier relationships knocked out i'm not going to need a lot of help there you know maybe some prospecting help but not not a ton there either producer management you don't have a ton of producers we can absolutely help with producer management um and, and so i kind of know where our tool can plug in for you now and and uh, you know more than happy to to at this point get into the pitch not the pitch i don't do pitches but at least the explanation of what we do and how we can help you
1: yeah i think what we need to do is take it to the next episode man and then the, okay. we'll have the next the next segment of it for sure Absolutely. Sounds good, brother. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We will catch you next week, and we will be back with the one and only Ryan Deeds. See ya.